the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is our number two underway now at nine minutes past ten. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday. It's the twenty-third morning of the tenth month of the year of our Lord, twenty nineteen. All right, I got. I've got to talk about this culture war that we have been discussing. Let me point out uh, something. You know, we've been talking about the culture warrior. Uh, Salem uh, has had taken nominations um, throughout the month of September and most of October. And over 500-plus individuals have been nominated for the Salem Culture Warrior of the Year Award. The Salem Editorial Board narrowed it down to six finalists based on the ability that they have had to fight the good fight for the right reason. One of the criteria to get nominated was that they had suffered the slings and arrows of public discontent because of their positions. They had been slandered. They had been attacked, et cetera, et cetera. The finalists, Candace Owens, Alan Sears, Gary Sinise, Abby Johnson, Franklin Graham, and Charlie Kirk. And um, their their arguments or their qualifications are all outlined on our webpage, which is whkradio.com. Make sure you go there. Voting ends October 31st, <clears throat> so you got about a week uh, to vote for uh, your favorite culture warrior of the year. There will be a presentation of that award next year. But I, I bring that up because of where we are. Culture war is really, truly what it is. Now, the last caller, Sister Mary Grace, brought up the seven-year-old child in Texas and uh, said that she's praying for him. And you know what? So must you. Uh, so must we all. So must everybody who truly believes in God and believes in God's ability to, um, uh, let's just say, bless each and every one of us with our own special gifts, talents, and, yes, um, with our identities as to who we are. And if you are a believer in who we are, then you are a believer in God. And if you say that you are not a believer in who you are, that you think something is wrong, either A, you don't believe in God, you feel like he screwed up and made a mistake, or B, you have a psychological condition. 
And yes, I'm speaking of the T and the LGBTQ, XYZ, RQN, exclamation point, ampersand, uh, at sign movement. We're talking about the transgender movement. This is a huge part of our culture war. The boy in Texas that uh, Sister Mary Grace was referring to is seven years old. Let me say this again. Seven years old. And this young boy has a mental condition, has what doctors often refer to as gender dysphoria, does not understand that he is a male, has a mental problem. And again, I, 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 some people don't like the term mental illness. I had a, a Facebook, I saw something on Facebook yesterday where a prominent uh, public figure, figure described the uh, transgender situation as being a mental illness and had their Facebook account revoked because that was considered to be hate speech. Understand this. This is not hate speech. Saying that somebody who whose mind cannot reconcile what his eyes can see and what science tells him or her, um, that is not hate speech. Telling them that uh, they have a, a, a significant mental block here, a psychological condition. Hate speech would be telling somebody who is not what their mind is telling them that they think they are. Uh, hate speech would be telling them that we agree with that. Supporting somebody's delusion is actually doing them harm rather than trying to get them assistance in, in figuring things out. And let me I'll play, say it as directly as I can say it. I've said it many times before. Look down. Look inside your pants and, 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 and see what you see. There's your answer if you're confused as to what you are. Sci- uh, human anatomy tells you what you are. Science tells you what you are. Physiology. Uh, anatomy. Um, uh, chromosomal science tells you what you are. If your mind can't reconcile what your eyes see, then you have a mental condition. You have a psychological condition that needs to be treated. If you're a child and you possess this, you're just a child. And should we be indulging in child's psychological fantasies? Well, one mother of the seven-year-old in Texas says, yes, we should. This mother wants to allow her seven-year-old son to transition into a girl. The process is well underway. This child eventually will be able to, with her mother's assistance and consent, his mother's assistance and consent, excuse me, start drugs to chemically castrate the boy. The father, recognizing the insanity of this abusive behavior, went to court to try to stop it. And short of kidnapping the boy and fleeing the country, he can't stop it. The state has said, yes, the mother can abuse this child in such a way. Matt Walsh, writing for the Daily Wire, said, I don't think people realize just how monumental this case is. We've just crossed the threshold as a society. There is no going back. These are very dark times. Most of all, for that poor boy whose mother is a despicable monster. Uh, people on Twitter are speaking out about this, those who are sensible anyway, in this way. We don't let children under the age of 18 get a tattoo unless parents sign off on it. Why? Because we know that children 17 and under can't make good decisions about whether they want to permanently scar their body with, with ink. But it's okay to allow a 7-year-old to make the call on whether or not he starts gender transition? A seven-year-old? 
If a school nurse gives a seven-year-old an aspirin without parental consent, that school nurse can be fired. How dare you give a, a drug like aspirin to a kid? But this is okay? I'm going to give you a little bit more from Matt Walsh's piece on this. Anthropologists in the future will spend a lot of time discussing and debating the question of exactly when the once great American civilization went insane, why it happened and how, and I can only imagine what conclusions they will draw. As an American citizen in present day, actually bearing witness to the collapse of sanity and reason in real time, I'm not sure that I can even answer those questions. Perhaps hindsight will lend some clarity. What I do know is this. This case will be viewed as a seminal moment in our collective plunge into madness. It will be seen, at least from a legal standpoint, the point of no return. This cross, the crossing of some kind of terrible Rubicon. I refer to the story of the seven-year-old James Younger, whose father, Jeff Younger, has been trying to save him from forced gender transition. Jeff has been locked in a bitter court battle with his ex-wife, Ann Georgiulis. Despite being a medical professional, a pediatrician, God help us, who presumably understands basic facts about human biology and child psychology, Georgiulis uh, got it apparently into her deranged head that her son, James, is really a girl. As the Texan previously reported, the factors that convinced Georgiulis that her son is really a daughter included his affinity for the movie Frozen and his request to get a girl toy from McDonald's. She also stated... Uh, she's, she also says he stated expressly wishing to dress in girls' clothing. But Jeff Younger recently explained in an interview, this is the dad, that if James ever had any desire to wear dresses, it's only because his mother started putting him in them and painting his nails when he was just three. He claims she used several other methods of manipulation, including locking the boy in his room and telling him that monsters only eat boys. Jeff speculates that Georgiulis would withhold affection from James if he did not act like a girl. The court case revolved around Jeff's effort to rescue his sons, James and his twin brother, from the abuse of this sick and twisted woman. However, the decision was passed down yesterday, which was Monday, actually, and the court ruled against the father. Virtually all control over James and his brother had now been handed to Georgiulis. She is free to continue his social transition into a girl, a process already well underway. He goes by the name Luna now and poses as a girl at his mother's house in school. Eventually, she can and will start him on chemical uh, drugs to chemically castrate him. There is nothing that the father can do about it short of kidnapping the boy and fleeing the country, a move that not only would be morally justified but heroic. It should also be noted that, according to Jeff, James violently refuses to wear girls' clothes when, he, that, when he's at his father's house. Free from the clutches of the mother, Jeff says, James is relieved to be able to act like a boy, dress like a boy, and play like a boy. The mother claims the opposite, insisting that James is excited to return to his mother and identify as Luna. Both claims are probably true in a sense. The poor boy realizes it pleases his mother for him to be Luna, so he wants to as James is a boy, plain and simple. Whatever confusion he is suffering from, confusion painstakingly planted in his head by his mother, who should be locked up for the rest of her life, writes Matt Walsh, could be alleviated through counseling and therapy. There is zero chance that James is a girl because that concept is nonsensical. Nonsensible, as I would say. James is who he is, and he is a boy. In a morbid coincidence, there were reports today about the mother of a supposedly terminally ill Make-A-Wish kid who is now accused of murdering the seven-year-old daughter she claimed was sick. 
Investigators believe that the mother has Munchausen syndrome by proxy, a mental disorder in which parents invent or create illnesses in their kids. I bring this case up because I believe that James Younger is the victim of a new and increasingly common kind of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. His disturbed mother has, in effect, created gender confusion in her child. This uh, case hopefully will not end up in murder, but it may well end up with the child's physical mutilation at the behest of his mother. And considering the very high rate of suicide in the transgender community, it could certainly be argued that she is putting her son's life at risk. She is certainly ruining it at the very least. So this is, this is where we are now. Why do I bring this up as a, an enormous part of the quote-unquote culture war? Because the left is defending the mother. The left is defending the seven-year-old boy, saying he should be allowed to choose what he wants to be. That in and of itself is the nature of abuse. Telling a seven-year-old he can indulge in fantasies that are not reality just because it feels right is child abuse. These are not open to interpretation. If someone's physical biology, anatomy, chromosomes are not recognized by the mind of either the individual whose body it is or a, a, an authoritarian figure like a mother in this case, if those are not recognized, then there are psychological conditions that need to be treated, not physical mutilations that need to be begun. We don't let kids under 18 get tattoos. But we're going to allow kids under 10 to decide whether or not they want to be a boy or girl, either for themselves or to please a parent? This is the crossing of a Rubicon. This is a ma- At the same time, I mentioned culture war, and I had a ton of stories here. At the same time as this insanity is being accepted as normality, and it's not, it's abnormality. This is, this is not normalcy, maybe is the better word there. The feminine uh, hygiene product uh, manufacturer always, the company, you know, they make feminine hygiene products, pads and, and tampons and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. They have always, pardon the pun, that's their name, included on their packaging as a part of their branding, a symbol for women. It's quite obvious and it makes perfect sense. They have a symbol for women on a women's product that is used during periods of menstruation. Very simple. Always has now announced they are removing the Venus symbol for women from its product packaging. Why? Because its parent company, Procter & Gamble, has been told by the LBGTQXYZRNP community that it is not fair And it makes trans women feel discriminated against. It makes non-binaries feel discriminated against to have the female symbol Venus on these products. Their claim, it's not just women that menstruate. And not all women do menstruate. Therefore, remove the women's symbol from the products. I don't want to have to shout into a microphone to thousands and thousands of people the obvious. But I guess we will. Spoiler alert. Men can't menstruate. This is not a choice. Unless you have a uterus and unless you are dropping eggs, you can't menstruate. 
I don't care what your mind tells you. You don't need menstrual products, menstrual cycle products. Those are for women, actual women, not mentally confused men. Back after this. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. So do you know about uh, safe haven laws in our state? To give every mother or father every opportunity to choose life for their babies, safe haven laws allow a birth parent to place their newborn child into the hands of a first responder at any medical provider or law enforcement agency. In Arkansas specifically, uh, I'll tell you this story. Option Line, a 24-7 pregnancy helpline run by Heartbeat International, answers around 1,100 calls a day, including calls through the National Safe Haven Alliance. Mary in Arkansas called Option Line from the hospital labor and delivery unit. She had just given birth to a baby girl, but the reality of Mary's own drug addiction and her own chaotic life settled in even as she, to- uh, she held her newborn child for the first time. She wanted what was best for her baby, but she knew she was in no place to care for both herself and her daughter. So talking to Option Line's professionally trained, compassionate consultant, Mary asked, through tears, what she could do. Option Line consult, uh, the Option Line consultant told Mary she could make the courageous choice to place her beautiful child into the arms of an L&D nurse, and that's just what she did. In a follow-up conversation, Mary called to tell Option Line that she was on the road to recovery and her daughter, praise God, had been adopted into a loving home just days after she had entered the world. There are so many points on a woman's journey to motherhood, and, uh, motherhood, and at every point, uh, Option Line is there to talk with her. That's why it's integral that we keep Option Line open. That's why it's so important for us to fund Option Line, because Option Line run by Heartbeat International is there for women, whether they have just given birth or if especially they are on the road to giving birth. They are pregnant and considering their alternatives, including the possibility of abortion. Option Line saves babies' lives. Option Line will inform women like Mary of their options long before they come to that moment in time. And they will hopefully, and in fact, usually do, talk the women into giving life a chance for their baby, even if the baby is not going to be with them for the rest of its life. Save a baby now. Call this phone number, 800-999-7408, or go on our website, whkradio.com. Click on the option line banner at the top of the page. Make a $75 donation, please, to save one baby's life and to keep the option lines open and staffed for one hour. $150 will keep them staffed for two hours, all the way up to an $1,800 donation, which we have received from some generous donors who can afford to do that. We'll keep the option lines open and staffed for a full day. Save a baby's life right now. Call 800-999-7408 or donate that $75 online at whkradio.com. It is the best thing that you can do with your money. If you're looking for a charity that needs it, Saving Babies Lives is the charity that we support. And we'll be right back. All 
right, it is 1035. We continue now on AM 1420, The Answer. we got 25 minutes of outstanding awesome left for you. I promise I'll leave some room to take some phone calls here before the end of this hour and the end of this show. But I do want to bring on another guest now because this is a very important issue and it's a very important topic. Um, as you know on this program, and I think, dare I say, throughout the Salem lineup you hear um, from morning to night on AM 1420, The Answer, we like to take care of our veterans we like to support our military both active and uh those uh who have uh who have served their time and who are now in retirement um and we also know that there are a lot of challenges that they face when they leave the military and they come back to um uh, civilian life and uh, reintegrating themselves into civilian life is not easy for a lot of them rural and smaller town veterans in particular have very limited choices for things like health care and as a member of clergy um uh, a person and uh, and houses of worship are an important contact point for veterans in the community, and that's what this is all about. There's a big event happening uh, this Friday in my town, my hometown of Illyria. It's community clergy training to support rural veterans' mental health. And when I heard about this coming up, I said, that's something I want to share. Let's bring on somebody you can share. And joining us now is that person, Tim Oldani, who is with Northeast Ohio Veterans Community Task Force, uh, which is teaming up with the National Chaplain Center of the Department of Veterans Affairs to present this uh, very important training coming up on Friday. Tim, thanks for coming on the air with us. How are you this morning? Doing great. Thanks, Bob. How are you? I'm great. Before we talk about the solution, which is kind of what this training, uh, this uh, special community clergy training is all about, uh, let's talk about the problem. Can you identify for us uh, some of the some of the things that uh, this particular, your organization, the Northeast Ohio Veterans Community Task Force, as well as the Chaplain Center, et cetera, the types of problems reintegrating and getting all of the services that many veterans need? So it's it's pretty comprehensive, and and like you said, there is a lot of problems, and identifying it is quite difficult. Um, so what we found is finding that safe place. Um, who are the first line responders? Where are the best touch points? And you know we need to get the service member, the veteran, and the family because it's not always the service member. You know, a lot of times it's the family member who's the one trying to reach out for help because the service member just won't or can or can't find that way to do it. So the reason we're utilizing like faith-based communities, churches, clergy, pastors, parishioners from, you know, different uh, organizations, religious organizations, is because those are deemed to be safe places. They're essentially, they're more free of stigmas. And other places, you know, in secular society, the stigmas are rampant. So that's kind of why, you know, and I use that word first responders, because that's exactly what these individuals, whether you're just a community member, an attendee at a faith-based organization, or you are the pastor or a clergy member, a deacon, an elder, or some type of participant or evangelist, you're a first-line responder for this issue, and you're the first person that might come in contact with them. That is such a great point. And the point about a stigma is, is very well taken as well. You know, you, you think about, uh, you know, a veteran who, who might be back in, in returning to civilian life and struggling. And we know the, the number, I believe the number is a terrible, terrible number. It's 22, um, veterans, um, war veterans particularly who take their lives every day. So they're struggling and they don't know where to go and they don't want to go to a hospital. They don't want to go to a doctor and say something is wrong with me, but they might be willing to turn to their pastor. They might be willing to turn to a member of the clergy, as you say, uh, to talk about what they're struggling with. And the clergy needs to know how to handle that. That's what this training is all about, right? Exactly. So our whole motive here, the main mission that we're doing is to reach out to those potential first responders, 
those pastors, the clergy members, uh, anyone who attends or is a part of uh, those organizations or faith-based institutions. And we're going to teach and talk and equip and put resources and information in their hands and educate and empower them on things like conflicts between civilian and military culture. Um, we'll talk about the common military events that may cause adjustment disorders. Uh, we'll equip and educate the pastors and pastoral teams on how they can be better equipped. One of the biggest things is talking about military culture. Um, you would be amazed at some of the really small, you know, idiosyncrasies or really small quips that people might say that could immediately turn somebody off, like calling a Marine a soldier. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but when you do that, you know, you could have immediately lost that person. Like, all right, this person doesn't know I'm gone. You know, so it's those things. We want to we want to make you better equipped and we want to prepare you for success to better connect with those military service members, veterans and the family. Excuse me, I'm trying to find a cough here. Apologies. But what you just said is so true. Um, I, I've learned this through many, many years on the radio. Whenever I talk to military personnel, I need to know if I'm talking to somebody from Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, because you're right. You don't want to call, uh, you don't want to call somebody in the Navy a soldier. That's a sailor. And you don't want to call a Marine a soldier. That's Army and the whole nine yards. They take it very personally. And if you are talking about somebody who's struggling a little bit and has other problems that you know, it may be just something that little that might set them off or, as you say, turn them away. Um, let me ask you this. The word rural is included in this. Community clergy training to support rural veterans' mental health. Um, I'm going to go ahead and assume it doesn't matter what kind of a an area you live in. If you're a member of the clergy and if you're a pastor that may indeed come into contact as, as you say, Tim, a first responder to a, a veteran who's struggling, it doesn't matter where you live, right, a city or, 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 or in a rural community, anybody's welcome to this training? Absolutely, Bob. And the reason we say that is you have to, you know, and not to get, let's not, you know, nobody wants to get the political card, but, you know, you, we talked about partnership with the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. All right. So they get funding from where? Congress. Mm-hmm. And Congress, you know, they sectorize and they appropriate those funds based on different programs. And this actually comes through the rural health program. So that's why by reaching out to and saying this is deemed towards rural rural veterans and uh, rural communities, then that's why we can make this possible. But you do not have to be within those areas to participate at all. It's Got just it. when you think about rural areas, those tend to be the more disenfranchised areas with less re- resources and less programs surrounding. And, you know, and that's just that's just facts. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. Uh, and it is, that's why I wanted to get out that, get that out there. I'm sure there was a reason for the use of the word rural, and it does. It would have to do with getting funding. Tim Oldani is our guest with the uh, Northeast Ohio Veterans Community Task Force, teaming up with the National Chaplain Center of the Department of Veteran Affairs for a big training event that is coming up on Friday. Give us the where's and the when's. So this is going to take place at the Lorraine County Community College in Elyria. And for those who aren't familiar with the area, it's uh, on North Abbey Road. So it's 1005-1005 North Abbey Road. And it's particular area within LCC um, or Lorraine County Community College will be the Spitzer Center, rooms 214 and 215. Um, and if you want to get in touch, and that will be the most important thing, when, Tim, when is this happening? October 25th, Friday. And you can be there as early as 7.30 a.m., but, you know, we're not going to knock anybody if they have to mosey in, you know, a little bit behind or come in late. We're going to take everybody who wants to come. Now, there is high demand. It can fill up pretty fast, but I can promise you I don't really think or foresee us turning anybody away whatsoever. But you might not get lunch, and I'm sorry. if, if We're going to feed everybody that comes, but if too many people come and we didn't have the right plans, then I can't promise lunch for everybody. But if you registered, I can promise um, so how do you register? It's a great question. There's uh, an Eventbrite link 
that we've made available. So if you're in the Northeast Ohio area, like Lorain County, Elyria, North Ridgeville, wherever you are, if you search and go to Eventbrite, if you just search the very simple term CCTP, C is in Christian, T is in Troop, P is in Patriot, CCTP, um, it'll come up. Or if you search Community Clergy Training Program, it'll come up. It's the first one there. Or you can contact, if you want a phone number, Megan Warren at 216-785-6613. And she is a VA Central Office representative working for Washington, D.C., um, and she can connect you right to that community clergy program, get you registered, and help you out and answer any questions you might have. That is fantastic. Great information there. So again, uh, take advantage of this opportunity. If you know somebody, maybe if you're, you know, if you think you're clergy, uh, that may not be aware of this, you know, your pastor or your reverend or whomever it is that you may, uh, uh, that you work with or that presides over your particular, um, uh, institution of faith's, uh, services. If you think they may, may be interested in this and they don't know about it, please share this with them. So it's coming up on Friday, this Friday, 8.30 a.m., start time officially at the Lorraine County Community College, Spitzer Center rooms 214 and 215 tim aldani uh really well i guess it's quite literally when i say this is god's work you guys are doing here uh, but thank you for doing it and thank you for making thank us so aware much. of it so that we can share that information with those who need it appreciate you bob thanks for your time thank you tim god bless all right tim aldani uh with the northeast ohio veterans community task force again working with the chaplain center national chaplain center of the department of veterans affairs very important never thought about it this way that's right. You know, I got to tell you, that's one of the things I love about doing this show. And it's what I love about uh, working with uh, people with so many various in- interests um, and ex- areas of expertise. You think, well, if a veteran, you know, what I said is true, by the way, that number, maybe you recall the push-up challenge that kind of circulated and went viral over the Internet about was it last year or maybe the year before. Um, People were challenging one another to do 22 push-ups. Videotape yourself doing 22 push-ups and then share it and challenge somebody else. All as a way of, of, of awareness and making people aware of the fact that 22 veterans die every day by suicide. They can't handle um, this transference to civil, civilian life or maybe they have already handled it but they still suffer from PTSD or other um you know, mental or psychological uh, impairments that, that make them, you know, uh, unable to cope, and they, they take their own lives. And you think to yourself, well, I wish there was more psychological training, psychological, that's training's probably the wrong word, therapy, uh, assistance, or whatever that is available to these people. And what Tim just said is so true. You don't even think about it, do you? Uh, some of them don't want to go to a mental hospital and say, I have a mental problem, but they just want somebody to talk to. And sometimes that somebody is their pastor or their reverend or their priest or, or whatever, uh, their clergy. And if the clergy doesn't know how to handle what they're going through, well, then that might not be the best use. You know, it may, they may not be useful. It's such an important thing. So, again, uh, pass this word on to those who might be interested and might be in a position to help um, needy veterans in such ways. Community clergy training to support veterans' mental health coming up on uh, this Friday in Illyria. All right, 1046, we'll take our final time out. We'll come back. I've got a segment for phone calls here if you wish to make them. I've got more culture news for you as well, if you would rather, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer.
1051 now. The uh, final segment of the Bob Brands Authority for this Wednesday morning underway. Uh, a couple of other quick ones. I, I mentioned at the top of the show, I had a bunch of stories on culture, uh, the culture war that we continue to fight in this country, and how it is integral that we win it. Uh, and I had several stories as examples. I'm going to give you another one. What is the one area of um, education that you would agree or you would believe um, that would be completely um, closed to subjectivity? In other words, it would be completely objective. Okay? Uh, what is the one area of education that is not open to interpretation, that is not subject to your feelings or your emotions? In other words, English. Reading um, English or, or American or, or British uh, uh, works, uh, texts, books, plays, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. we can analyze, we can interpret, we can decide how we feel about a number of different things. It's very open, it's very subjective. History. We can all look at history. We can say historical facts are historical facts, but we can interpret what they mean based on various different things that we believe. It's open to interpretation, so it can be, in some ways, subjective. Science shouldn't be. Science should be 100% objective. It is, it is just facts are facts. Scientific principles are scientific principles. For example, chromosomal science, as we talked about, you're either a male, you're a female based on your chromosomes and by your anatomy, and so on and so forth. But I think most would agree that the one, you know, the single most objective um, educational field of study would be mathematics. Mathematics can't lie. Mathematics can't doesn't care about your feelings. Mathematics doesn't care about your, uh, your background. Mathematics doesn't care about your interpretation, your analysis. Numbers are numbers. Formulas are formulas. And math is just math. There's no way to change it to make it something other than what it is, right? Wrong. Because according to the Seattle Public Schools Ethnic Studies Advisory Committee, math is racist. The Seattle Public Schools Ethnic Studies Advisory Committee released a rough draft of notes for its math ethics studies framework. I'm sorry, not ethics, sorry, ethnic studies framework in late September, which attempts to connect math to a history of oppression. The framework is broken down into four groups. Origins, identity and agency, power and oppression, history of resistance and liberation, and reflection and action. The committee suggests that math is subjective, not objective, and racist. Saying under one section, who gets to say if an answer is right? And another, how is math manipulated to allow inequality and oppression to persist? This, this, this is a real thing. They are trying to tell you that math, which doesn't care who you are or what you do, just cares about whether the numbers you input to the equation and the formulas uh, required are accurate to spit out the same answer every single time. Math is not subjective, but they are saying that it is oppressive, and they are they are saying that it is um, uh, in, uh, it. it uh, provides inequality it allows white privilege to continue 
I wish I was making this up. This is an unbelievable story. I won't give you the rest of it for now because we're short on time here. But this is exactly what is going on in our public schools today. They're trying to change virtually everything that has been historical precedent, historical norms within our culture, within our society, to fit the 2019 woke version, which is sometimes the wrong answer is the right answer. And sometimes the right answer is the wrong answer. It depends on who is giving it, what their background is, whether or not they've been oppressed or not, and whether or not they will feel hurt if they couldn't come up with the right answer. I mean, seriously. How can you not think of Winston Smith trying everything he can to believe that 2 plus 2 is 5? Trying everything to see five fingers being held up through the blinding torture that he was undergoing. I mean, it is 1984. Right answers can be wrong answers. Wrong answers can be right answers, depending on your perception of them. Forced perception, by the by. And then the last one that I wanted to share with you. This one comes from One American News. This isn't new. This is from April. But I just found it yesterday, and I want to share it with you today. Democrats refuse to force people to say the name of God if it makes them feel uncomfortable, including in the United States Congress. Some final thoughts now. One nation under Democrat demolition. Did you know they have removed God? The majority party in the House of Representatives has deleted God from as many official congressional proceedings as possible, including swearing in witnesses. Do you swear or affirm under penalty of perjury that the testimony you're about to give is true and correct to the best of your knowledge, information, and belief? Great. Thank you. At the record show the witnesses... Point of parliamentary inquiry. Yes, Mr. Johnson. I think we left out the phrase, so help me God. We did. Could we have the witnesses do it again for the record? Yeah, they want to do it, but some of them don't want to do it. And I don't think it's necessary, and I don't like to reserve my will over other people. Well, it goes back to our founding history. It's been part of our tradition for more than two centuries, and I don't know that we should abandon it now. Could I ask the witnesses if they would would choose to, to use the phrase? Mr. Chairman. Mr. Nadler. If any witness objects, I should not be asked to identify himself. Uh, we do not have religious tests for office or for anything else, and uh, we should let it go with that. That is the face of Resident Evil, Jerry Nadler. Get used to it. It will be Nadler who leads the effort to impeach President Trump. So, And, and that, of course, has proven to be exactly true. Nadler and Adam Schiff. We shouldn't force people to say the name of God if it makes them feel uncomfortable was the ruling from the Democrats in that committee. Just so we're clear as we wrap up this show, Democrats don't want people to be forced to say the the word God when they're taking an oath under God if it makes them feel uncomfortable. However, if people are uncomfortable using the wrong pronouns or made-up words and made-up pronouns to describe biological males who want to be called female pronouns or vice versa, Democrats will have these people fired and or sued for not complying. That's how the First Amendment works in Democrat land. That's how it will work in America if you vote for one for president. Mike Gallagher's next. We'll see you tomorrow. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.